Hi, I'm Catelyn Tucker. Welcome to The Balance. This mini episode is focused on the social emotional skill of responsible decision making. So in my last two mini episodes on social emotional learning, we covered self-awareness and self-management. And I really explored strategies for helping students to kind of understand and identify and regulate their emotions, thoughts, and behaviors, which is really critical to this next social emotional skill of responsible responsible decision-making, because this particular competency really requires that students take kind of that heightened sense of self-awareness, their ability to manage themselves and their behavior in order to make responsible decisions about how are they reacting to different situations and how are they interacting with other members of the class community. So if we define responsible decision-making, it's really the ability to assess a situation, kind of think about and understand the benefits and consequences of different responses to a given situation, considering ethical and even safety concerns to make kind and productive choices. And responsible decision-making includes the ability to be open-minded, to exhibit curiosity about the people we're interacting with, the situations that we're in, analyzing a situation and the information available before making a judgment or a decision thinking about and evaluating the consequences of a particular choice or decision, and considering how our actions will impact other people and our community, be that a learning community or a larger community, and then hopefully also reflecting on how are my actions, how are my behaviors and decisions affecting my well-being and the well-being of those people around me. So to cultivate responsible decision-making in classrooms, I encourage educators to consider the following questions. How can I help students evaluate situations to identify the potential benefits and consequences of different decisions? How can I support students in cultivating an open mind and curiosity when facing unfamiliar situations? What strategies might help students develop their critical thinking and problem-solving skills? And how can I incorporate a regular practice of reflection to help students understand the impact of their actions and the choices they make on themselves, the people around them, and the communities they belong to. So the benefits of responsible decision-making are pretty impressive, right? So it has a benefit on academic success, the quality of our relationships with others, our ability to empathize, our willingness to share, and even things like classroom management because it really promotes positive behaviors, reducing a lot of those unproductive behaviors that can make teaching a very frustrating experience at times. it also positively impacts things like mental health and rates of anxiety. And we know that rates of anxiety are particularly high right now. So when we think about weaving these skills into our class, because as I've said in the previous mini episodes on social emotional learning, this can't be an add-on. It really needs to be integrated into the fabric of our classes. So I have a blog that I will link to in the show notes where I, f- I share five different strategies designed to help students make responsible decisions. So I'm going to go over those and kind of give you an idea so that if any of them sound interesting and you want to explore them further, you can go to the link to the blog that corresponds with this episode in the show notes. So strategy one is really something we want to do at the beginning of our time together. So instead of just giving students a set of rules, putting them on our syllabus, really thinking about engaging the class in co-constructing class agreements. And this is a really powerful exercise for a 
lot of different reasons. First, when we give students a class set of rules, we're not engaging them in the process of thinking through what behaviors are going to make this class run smoothly, are gonna make this environment feel safe and productive and respectful. And so how do we engage students in helping to identify what should we be doing in this class and in this learning environment and what should we avoid because it might make it unproductive or unsafe or disrespectful. So the first thing I encourage teachers to do is have students reflect on their past experiences, right? Our kids have been in school, many of them, for quite a while. They know what feels good. They know what hurts when it comes to interactions with others. So asking them to spend some time either drawing or writing or reflecting in an audio capture or a video what about a class in the past has made it feel really comfortable? When have you felt safe sharing your ideas, taking risks, engaging with your classmates? And then what was a time when you felt uncomfortable? You didn't feel safe taking those academic or social risks in a classroom. Get them tapping into that prior knowledge and really connecting with that first. Then group students and allow them to kind of discuss their prior experiences in school. This might be a way for them to realize they're not alone in those moments of difficulty. And then have them work collaboratively to identify three norms they think are critical to establishing and maintaining a safe, supportive, productive learning environment, learning community. And then once they've kind of come up with three norms that they as a group think are kind of key to establishing the kind of environment they want to be in, then have each group share out, kind of crowdsource those ideas either on a whiteboard or in a digital space, and then do what I call creating a heat map, which is have students put a dot next to things on the board that they think are particularly important or to star different ideas on something like a Padlet wall to mark the ones they think are most important to put on a class set of agreements. And then basically from their kind of this heat map where they've identified of all these ideas shared by the different groups, these are the ones we think are most important to add to a class set of agreements, then you take those and you put them on the agreements. You can have students sign a contract. I usually have teachers leave actually a spot in their syllabus where students can copy down the class agreements once they've come up with them so that they have that tactile experience of copying it. And then you can have parents sign it, students sign it, and really hopefully everybody is committing to making sure that these norms and expectations are kind of lived up to over the course of a year or over the course of a semester or how long you're gonna have your students. I also think, so strategy two is around getting students to think through a clear path of consequences. I think a lot of power struggles I see in classrooms as a coach really come from this opacity around what will happen if a student makes a misstep in a class. Or maybe there are consequences, but they're not very consistently enforced. So when a teacher does finally enforce a consequence, students are taken by surprise, they're upset, like why are you punishing me now when maybe you didn't do it to another student earlier. So it's really critical that we have a clear set of path or set of consequences or path of consequences, and we make that really transparent to students and in maybe even engage students in the conversation about what is an appropriate consequence. And, you know, if the first, uh, 
kind of response to a misstep is a verbal redirection. What's an appropriate next step? Is it moving students to an alternative seating area? Um, is it asking them to take a minute to kind of reflect on um, their behavior? So really kind of engaging students in this process can be quite helpful as well. But at the very least, as educators, we want to have that clear path in place and make those steps really transparent for students and then be super consistent. Strategy three is one that I love, and it's teaching students how to use an urgent versus important matrix to guide their decision making. So the urgent versus important matrix has four different squares, and in the upper left-hand corner, it's urgent important. Then in the upper left-hand corner, it's urgent, no, it's important, excuse me, not urgent. In the lower left-hand corner, it's urgent, but not important. And in the lower right-hand corner, it's not urgent and not important. And the idea is that we all have so many different things on our plates that we need to do, so many things kind of drawing our attention or maybe on, you know, thinking of students kind of capturing their assignments and agendas. This is a way for them to kind of track what is urgent and important right now that I need to prioritize. What is important, but not urgent? So I want to do it, but I don't need to do it right now or maybe even today. Maybe it's something I have a week or two weeks to accomplish. What is not urgent and not important? Something I can put at the very end of my list or really not worry about at all. And what is urgent but not important, right? So often I feel like a lot of the emails I get as a teacher or as a professional are, they feel very urgent, but they're not really that important. Like if I don't respond to them right away, it's not gonna be the end of the world. And so it's a way to kind of think about what tasks are really important that are gonna help learners to make progress toward personal and academic goals they value. Um, because a lot of the, the tasks that they're doing they, they may, you know, really demand immediate attention because there's a due date that's coming up. And some are not as important or not as urgent. And so we don't want to prioritize those first. And a lot of students don't have practice in really beginning to assess what tasks on their plates do they need to kind of prioritize versus the ones that can wait a little bit. The fourth strategy is a Freyer style well-being analysis. So students may not really consider the impact of their choices on themselves or the people around them. And yet the CASEL framework points out that students really should be reflecting on their role in promoting both personal and community well-being. So there's a Freyer kind of style reflection that I include in the blog post that gets students thinking about how are they positively impacting their own personal as well as academic well-being, the well-being of their families and communities, and really thinking through those things in a very intentional way. And then finally, strategy five is all about using role play exercises because role playing exercises position students as active agents in the learning process and provide them with the opportunity to be really creative and interact with each other and, and hopefully have fun in the exercise. And so these role playing exercises can be leveraged to encourage students to really evaluate situations or scenarios and think about 
how would I respond in this moment? It kind of gives them this safe space to practice weighing those benefits and consequences of different decisions. Um, and with most things in a classroom, um, I'd love students to play an active role in generating the scenarios, right? Like they spend all day in school. They know where those moments of tension or frustration or anger tend to pop up. Can they design the scenarios and then switch them up and different acting troops within the class do this role-playing exercise? You could even have it be something where the audience is interacting, calling pause and talking about what's happening in the scene. So lots of ways to make role playing very, very kind of engaging for learners. And these routines and strategies, they don't need to require significant time, but they can really help students learn how to assess a situation consider other people's points of view, demonstrate empathy, weigh the benefits and drawbacks of particular choices, and the ability to make kind and constructive decisions can really impact their academic success and the overall functioning of our learning communities. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Balance. And if you have questions, I have begun a new Ask Catlin type of episode that will be appearing each month in your podcast feed if you have one on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And I would love for you guys to reach out and ask me your questions about education, ed tech, blended learning, work-life balance, whatever interests you. I would love to answer those questions on a future episode. So you can find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker and on Instagram at Catlin Tucker. So send those my way as I'd love to answer them. Have a wonderful rest of your week and join me for my next mini episode, which will be covering relationship skills and how that social emotional learning skill can be woven into our classrooms as well.